It has such an impact on our emotions, doesn't it? But for others of you, I know that money has a very different impact on your emotions. I know that for others of you, when you think of money, you think of a lot of anxiety. It just comes up right away. You think of a lot of worry. Maybe you are really, really overwhelmed. Maybe there's a ton of financial needs in your house right now that you honestly do not know how they're going to be met. According to financial expert Howard Dayton, money and possessions are mentioned in the Bible 2,350 times. Between money and possessions, something related to it, it's the most talked about subject in the scripture. Jesus actually spent 15% of his teachings on money. He knew that it was important. He knew that it was close to our heart. He knew that it really impacts every area of our lives. And so here's the thing, as a church, if we're going to be followers of Jesus, if we're going to be a church that follows after him with everything we've got, if we're going to study the Bible, sooner or later, a lot of times sooner, you are going to run into the subject of money. And money within the church is responsible for all kinds of things. Currently, money is responsible for nearly 40% of marital problems in the church. Some of the problem is debt. The average household has $16,000 in credit card debt, $33,000 in student loans, and $156,000 on first mortgage debt. Now, the Bible doesn't call debt a sin. It just says debt will own you. And the more of it you have, the more it owns you. I mean, think of it. Our entire financial system in this country, particularly, is built on all of us being okay with bankruptcy. Seriously. If you're a homeowner today, that means you owe a lot of money, right? You don't really own anything yet. The bank owns it. And if they were to call you this afternoon, tomorrow morning, and say, it's time for you to pay up or you're out of the house, and you can't pay it, you're bankrupt. But our whole system is built upon this. When it comes to money, when it comes to financial health, we plan on not having enough. We plan on struggling. We plan on this being an issue. Nearly 70% of people live paycheck to paycheck. And the definition of that just means you run out of money by the end of the month. The average family, if they had to use, would have to use a credit card to pay an unexpected bill that is $1,500 or greater. And nearly half of all Americans have less than $10,000 saved for retirement, which I don't know what you're planning to do with your retirement, but it's not going to last long. So what do we do? Well, the scripture has 2,350 verses about this. So for the next 35 minutes, I'm going to just read them all really fast. And uh, the ones that I don't get to, I'm going to send you home in an, with an encyclopedia. And good luck. May the force be with you, or in this case, Jesus. May Jesus be with you. And good luck, right? Rather, I think scripture really boils down just a couple of things. I mean, there are instructions for saving. There's instructions for planning. There's instructions for investing. There's instructions and encouragement for how to take care of your family, for not going into debt, or at least not too much debt. And really, some scriptures would, would argue for, for none at all. But all of these things, I think, boil down into just a couple of simple principles. And we get to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, and the Apostle Paul, who, listen, he's this guy who grew up knowing the Old Testament forwards and backwards. He was a persecutor of the church, 
And then he gets to know Jesus in a very personal way. And then he spends some time, several years actually, being instructed on the things of Jesus. He's the smartest guy who could ever talk about money according to scripture. And if you look at 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, he boils it all down into a principle that when you first hear it is not going to make any sense. Okay, can I just warn you ahead of time? He's going to warn you, he's going to give you something that's not natural. That you're going to think, how do I put that into practice and create margin and health? This is the Bible solution. I don't get it. We're going to talk through it. So the Apostle Paul, he's planted churches. He's writing letters to churches. And when he would go to all of these churches, he would collect an offering. He particularly would collect an offering for the church in Jerusalem which was very impoverished, but they felt like they owed a lot to because that's where the message began. So all the other churches that he planted were collecting money for the church at Jerusalem. And in his second letter to the church at Corinth, which is a church that really is doing pretty well, he writes about some churches that have really inspired him in an area called Macedonia. These churches would have been, maybe you've heard of them, Thessalonica. There's a letter in the New Testament to the church at Thessalonians, to Berea, to Philippi. These are, are these three churches. In Corinth, they would have referred to these three churches as the barbaric north, okay? Those people. Like we're so excited about the ministry for those people, but we just hope that those people stay in their city. That's kind of how the people at Corinth felt about the churches at Macedonia. And so the Apostle Paul to Corinth tells the story of these churches. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, he says, Now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in generosity, rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability entirely on their own. Now, when the Apostle Paul uses the words, we want you to know, he had some travelers with him as he's writing the letter. He's telling you, listen, this is something new. I want you to, I want you to pay attention. He says, you need to know the churches in Macedonia have been going through a massive persecution. And whatever it was they were going through, that persecution left them in extreme poverty. Extreme. I can't pay the light bill, can't take care of their basic necessities, extreme poverty. And he said, in response, when I got up to ask for the offering, and you got to think the Apostle Paul probably isn't feeling really good about asking for the offering among these churches that are struggling so much. But when I got up and asked for the offering, they all got joyful they gave, and then they gave beyond what they were able in rich generosity entirely on their own. And I think he's writing this going, so what are you going to do about it, Corinth? <laughs> I think he's trying to create a little competition, to be honest, because I'll tell you, nothing gets church leaders particularly, nothing gets us more fired up than finding out somebody else has done something great when we feel like we should be, have been able to do something great And maybe when we have actually the more means, more resources, more opportunity to do it. And then the apostle Paul just piles on. He just, he gets a little, just mean in in eight, five, not really, but it's kind of funny. 
He says, by the, he says it again. They exceeded our expectations and they gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. He just says the same thing in a different way. They gave. They gave above and beyond. They got generous and we didn't have to ask. And then he goes on, he says, but since you excel in everything, Corinth, you guys are awesome. In faith, speech, knowledge, and complete earnestness, and in the love that we've kindled in you. See also that you excel in the grace of giving. You guys are amazing. You believed God. You've done amazing things. You know God's word. You teach it well. Your worship is unbelievable. But there's something else I want to see you really get good at. Giving. You're such a good parent. You're such a good husband, a good wife. You're such a great teacher. You're such a great friend. You know the Bible so well. I mean, you, you pray to God. You're not afraid to talk to others about God. You're an amazing follower of Jesus. But can I tell you something? There's something else that you need to be growing in, the thing that maybe you're holding on to. Maybe it's the last thing you're saying, God, I'm, I'm just not going to do this quite all the way. And that is you've got to excel in the grace of giving. The Christian life is a generous life. It's meant to be a generous life. And then he explains why. He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor, so that you through his poverty, you through his poverty, might become rich. Jesus paid it all, right? When you couldn't do anything about it, made himself poor, Listen, the area around Macedonia was, was rich. It was rich in precious metals. It was rich in timber. Barbaric north or not, it was a well-to-do area. And these people found themselves maybe in an inexplicable way, something, in some way that they could never have seen coming. They found themselves absolutely at rock bottom. They were rich. They became poor. And they got generous. Apostle Paul said, that's, that's Jesus. Paul writes kind of a thank you note to the church at Philippi. It's the book of Philippians. And he says in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, if you've gotten anything at all, at all out of following Christ, if his love has made any difference in your life, if being in a community of the Spirit that would be a church means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, then do me a favor. And then he actually lists several favors that we're not going to get into today, but he's the Apostle Paul. He could do that. There are actually ways to live. And then he jumps into this. He says, this is what I want you to do. Think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave, became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process for Jesus. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life, and then he died a selfless, obedient death, and the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. The Son of God was rich, seated at the right hand of the Father, and then he gave it all away. And the Apostle Paul says to us, we have got to get ourselves into this mindset, to think of yourselves this way that nothing you have is your own and that you'll sacrifice whatever it takes 
for the plans and the purposes of God. Listen, creating financial margin is the same as creating margin in any area of your life. We give God the space first. We prioritize him first, even if it's just a little bit of elbow room. When we are at our busiest, most overwhelmed, most broken, or just flat broke, the answer is to put him first, and he puts everything in order for our good and his glory. That's what he has promised to do. We are learning this around here in ways that we had not learned before. In May of 2013, our staff did our annual retreat. And we got away, and a few of us got away kind of the day before so that we could pray for the staff that's coming. And Pastor Brian was going to give us the vision for, for the year ahead. And let's just talk about what God's doing in our church and, and be able to equip the rest of the team. And our new administrator, still our administrator, Brian Case, he walks in, and poor guy, he's, he's, he's new at the time, and he's got some news. Um, not good news um, when the administrator walks in with news. It's not always good news. Um, we give these guys a really hard time for lots of good reasons. And he said, listen, as you guys know, and we're not quite hitting our, our giving targets. People haven't been able to give what, what we thought they might. And um, we've got this new thing called the Affordable Care Act. Really interesting name for a bill um, for what it was costing, about to cost us. Um, we've got several other things going on, and we've got to cut 10% out of our budget. Like, welcome to the new guy. That's great. Okay. So we've got to cut 10% out. So we're church, right? So where do you cut? Well, you cut missions, maybe. You cut from kids' ministry, like one goldfish per child. Um, <laughs> just wash out the diapers, put them back on. Um, whatever it takes. Uh, local partners, um, cut from our student ministry. We really want to touch staff, although we cut our own benefits during this time. In our 18-year history, the reason why I bring that moment up, for me being on this team, I think that night and what was about to happen was a crucial milestone in the history of this church. Can I tell you, in the midst of our overwhelmed, suffocating, we're out of money moment. Spirit of God blew through that room. And there weren't tongues of fire dancing on our heads, don't worry, nothing like that. But God spoke a clear message to us that night in prayer. He said, guys, I want you to attack this thing positively and he gave us a solution, even though we didn't know what it meant yet. The solution was generosity. From that moment of bleakness came what we ended up calling the what-if experiment. So after that meeting, we went and we prayed. We planned for several months together as a team. And we said, how do we, how do we become a generous church? And so if you remember in November of that year, if you were here, we gave everybody cards. We said, listen, tell us, just, just tell us what you want to give. We're not going to tell you what you're giving because we don't know. You just, whatever God puts on your heart, would you write it down? If you're not giving anything, write something down. We just want to challenge everybody to do something. Some of you did, some of you didn't. Some of you that were already giving have said, you know what? I'm going to use this as an opportunity 
to grow in the grace of giving, to excel, to maybe learn generosity a little bit in my own life. And so I'm, I'm just going to, I've been giving $50 a month. I'm going to up it to 60 or I'm going to up it to 75 or 100 or whatever it is. I'm going to do a little bit more. And our mission has been to shock the world and put God on display. But can I tell you over the last couple of years, God has been shocking us. We made a commitment as a team that we would give back to four areas, ministry, missions, of which we did have to cut some things during that time, paying down debt, and contingency, saving a little bit of extra money. Can I tell you what God has done, what we have done as a church, what God has done? And this is we, the family on the mission. Since the end of 2013, after all of our commitments have been met, we have had funds left over. And we've showed you some of the stories of what we've done. We have had, every quarter we look at what's left, and we decide to be generous with it. We have had $823,000 left over after our budget has been met over the last couple years. And we've put it back in global missions and ministries, fresh diapers for all and animal cookies. We've paid down debt, and we've been a part of some amazing stories. And I just threw this verse in here as a side note, but it's, it's my heart to put God on display and not make it about us or anything else. So I'm going to read this verse just because I feel like I have to, okay? Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds toward the children of man. We were able to give our friends serving in downtown Atlanta, Terrence and Cecilia Lester, we were able to, to support them, give them a little bit of money. They started Love Beyond Walls. Terrence was one of our church planners. God did a different work in his life, and, and he's pastoring downtown, but he's pastoring in a different way. He wanted to have, he's pastoring homeless folks, the forgotten people of Atlanta. Terrence wanted to have a mobile makeover bus to serve the homeless and the forgotten of the city. And with the what-if experiment, we've been able to give a little bit of, to that and, and be a part of that. The, I think the bus is parked out here today. If, if the weather's nice and you want to go through it after the service, you can do that. It's on, it's on this north side of the building. But since launching the mobile makeover bus just a couple months ago, a few months ago, Love Beyond Walls has seen 62 salvations. They have done 305 people makeovers and have served 1,500 families so far. And we've gotten to be a little part of it. I got to meet Jamil at the end of the first service. I want to tell you his story. He's a committed barber that volunteers with Love Beyond Walls. He's 27 years old. I could tell he and I will be friends. I just, I just want you to know that. He's been serving for the last three months with Love Beyond Walls, giving his time and talents, providing haircuts to the homeless that come on the mobile makeover bus. Well, along the way, Terrence was able to build a relationship with him and found out that Jamil's father was homeless, and Jamil hadn't seen or talked to him in three years. In fact, his father missed most of his childhood. And Jamil shared that he had hopes of running into him while they were serving somewhere in Atlanta. Didn't know where he was, but he was hoping they could really connect and talk. Terrence sent me this story this week. Two weeks ago, they ran into Jamil's father on MLK while they were out serving, and he actually got a chance to make over his own father. Give his dad a haircut and reconnect with his dad on the mobile makeover bus. Are you kidding me? Only God. 
I know how some of you are. Some of you love, you say that you love global missions in, in the city of Atlanta, but you want to know what's happened in Paulden County or Cobb County. I know who you are, and I love you for that. I love your heart. Can I tell you one of our, about one of our local partners, Kaya? Dan and Dorley Pavorsley, they're, they're amazing. And we've partnered with them, and they've partnered with us and with Must Ministries. And over this last summer, can I tell you that they served 14,954 lunches to kids who would otherwise go without lunch and go without food during the summer this past summer. And a lot of you volunteered with them. I love what they do in serving the kids of this community. Dan tells a story of a man who came into Kaya last year for food from, that came into the Kaya food pantry. He needed food, needed financial assistance. Guy was out of work, needed a little bit of support. He's in his 60s, still wants to work hard, doesn't really want like a, a handout or anything. He wants to work, but he, he needed some help. He spent his whole life in the Catholic Church, and, and he tried to get help there, and, and, and that didn't work out at that particular time for whatever reason. So God let him, coming alongside Dan and Kaya, God let him to come away from the Catholic Church and begin talk, to talk to Dan about faith in, in Jesus Christ. And after attending Westridge for a couple weeks, they talked together, and Dan was able to lead him to the Lord. He put his faith and his trust in Jesus. And he said, you know what? I'm no longer interested in religion but instead I'm focusing my life on a relationship with God. I mean, we got so many local partners, Truth in Nature, Warehouse of Hope. We've got FCA doing some amazing things out there and they've all got other partners and we just get to be a little part of it as a church and we, we love these guys. We wanna be their best partner, just so you know. Like we, we get competitive. Like we're the church at Corinth. All you got to do is walk into Brian Beloy's office and you say, do you know what that other church has given the FCA? And he's like, it is on right now. It's happening. I mean, that's, that's, that's kind of how this works. But we believe that God has blessed us to be a blessing and to whom much is given, much is required. Listen, over the last little bit, we have freed up more money than ever to invest in church planning. We're going to invest in church planners and plant in the darkest cities in this country to turn them around for the glory of God. It's amazing what God's allowing us to do. God has allowed us to provide a water system in Guatemala. You've seen and you've heard the story maybe over the last couple of years to little Los Guayacanes there in the mountains of Guatemala, a water system, a church, and an education building. We also have helped provide a kitchen to, for, to create a restaurant for people in Burkina Faso, people who have physical handicaps, who aren't accepted in a lot of places, who have a lot of struggles getting around, literally crawling on the ground or on a hand-pedaled bike. We gave the money as a church to help them have a kitchen, to help them have a restaurant, and they are about to start buying chickens and goats, not just so they can scurry, but so that they can use them in a sustainable solution that will give these people resources day after day that they otherwise would not have had. We've gotten to be a little part of that. We've invested money in our surge camp for our kids and, and rush camp for our students at the Ocean Center in Daytona Beach. Our, our attendance in those things has never been higher. Brad Chandler, I was with our student ministry leaders last night and Brad Chandler was telling me, he said, listen, we had, we had somebody give us some scholarship money this year. We don't know who, but people give the scholarships every year. And we had two cousins show up and one night Brian was speaking and, and one cousin was sitting over here and one cousin was sitting over there because I guess that's how their family rolls. So they're sitting on opposite sides of the building and both cousins not knowing it, they both put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ on the same night. God's been so good to us. 
We've been able to create more space for our volunteer team members to to get together and hang out and, and to value them. We make them park as far away as possible, but we shuttle them because we love them. But that's what we do. We've, we, we've created new space for our young adults, 18 to 25 on Sunday nights. We've renovated space for our, our kids and our students and for our own families in this community with special needs so that we can serve them. We've created new space for kids going into sixth grade. And really we've created that space to help transition their parents as much as we've helped transition the kids over the last little bit. Listen, I could read story after story, life changed upon life changed, but God has taken care of our needs at a time when we weren't sure how that was going to work for the future. We didn't know what was going to happen. And God said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get generous. And can I tell you, it doesn't make any sense. It's the upside downness that God creates that Jesus teaches. He turns everything on his head and he says, if you will but trust me, if you'll put your faith in me, if you'll do what I say, I will show you things that you do not know, that you do not understand. And he doesn't only want to do that in the life of the church. He wants to do that in your life. Some of you are overwhelmed. You're struggling. You have no idea. You have no financial margin. You don't even know what that means or how in the world you're going to have it. Can I tell you, it doesn't make any sense, but the prescription is clear and we have found it to be true in this church. The prescription is one word, generosity. Generosity. Learning to give and learning to give in a way that maybe you've never imagined before. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, the Apostle Paul says, just remember this, it's the same teaching on giving. He says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver and he's able to bless you abundantly to abound in every good work. He called it an experiment. We're so excited about what God's allowed us to do and there's so much more in our hearts. There's so many more opportunities out there if we can continue to be generous. Simple definition of generosity is this, just go beyond the minimum. Just go beyond what's expected. And generosity is not always about money. Scriptures say, Paul says, now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness so that you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. He says, listen, if you guys will learn to be generous, if you will put this into practice, it's not common sense, it's supernatural sense. If you will put this into practice, I will draw all people to myself and you'll get to be a part of things never dreamed of. Right here in his word. So how do I take a step? How do I take a step? 2,350 mentions of money and possessions in Scripture. Where do I begin? I believe Scripture boils things all the way down to just a couple of simple principles, and I want to give them to you. Number one, start somewhere by giving to God through the church. Well, of course, that's what the pastor would say. Well, let me show it to you in Scripture. That might be a little easier. Malachi chapter 3, verse 10 says, Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. And see if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Giving to God through the church is his plan because the church is supposed to be his arm of generosity and his way of taking care of things. But listen, this does not mean emptying out bank accounts. This does not mean 
putting a dollar in an envelope and giving it a kiss or sprinkling it with holy water or anything like that, all right? This is giving whatever God lays on your heart and making it the first thing you do whenever you're paid. Listen, this is not a magic trick. I've had people, I've had people come up to me after a giving talk and give me a, a $5 bill or a $2 bill, like those are extra magic. Where'd you get that? Um, and give a little, just something small. And I'm not, I'm not saying those are insignificant gifts at all. But giving one time and saying, okay, now, God's going to take care of it, right? Listen, that's not what Scripture says. It's not a magic trick. It's a way of life. It's a way of obedience. It's faith over the long haul to learn how to give and then to grow from wherever you start from. So I'm going to give you a challenge right now. I'm going to give you a challenge. If you are not giving anything right now, nothing, I want to challenge you to give something with every paycheck for 90 days. It may be 10 bucks a paycheck, maybe 20 bucks, maybe $100. I don't know what it is. I'm, I'm not tracking this. If I had told the creative arts team about this ahead of time, we'd have slides for this, we'd have envelopes, we'd have beautiful things in the atrium, the 90-day challenge, right? We're not do, I could take an offering at the end of the day. It'd probably be big. I'm not interested in big numbers. I'm interested in your heart. God's not interested in big numbers. He's interested in people and life change. Where'd you get 90 days from? I just made it up. I don't know. Honestly, it's not, it's not a biblical number. I'm going to tell you where I got the idea from, and you can laugh with me or at me, whatever. I'm, re- I'm, I'm online. I'm reading some other churches. I've done good churches, people that I love. I've seen churches do 90-day challenges with a money-back guarantee. Listen. <laughs> These are good churches, but that's just weird to me. i got to be honest. Um, I love these people. But can I tell you what? It's not our money. What good does it do you if I guarantee your money? God's going to guarantee your money. He's the one who supplies needs. He's the one who promises to order our steps. But I want to challenge you. The scriptures say God says, test me in this. This is the only area where he says, test me. Put me to the test. And you know what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8.8? 8? He says that giving tests us. It tests our love. But you have to be real about this. Give to God first, not from the leftovers, and from whatever he puts on your heart. 90 days. End of November, you're done. And if God doesn't prove anything to you in that time, then you can go to him for your money back guarantee. I want to give you something else. My wife doesn't know I'm going to say this. We're in trouble. We have to do this because we're asking the people. Okay, I'm about to ask the people something. Okay, all right. I want you to take the next 30 days and I want you to write down every dollar you spend. If you need to find margin with your money, if you need to get your handle on it, I want you to take 30 days, write down every dollar you spend. It starts after my trip to Starbucks this morning, just so you know, okay? (laughs) Luke 14 says this, for which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? It's Jesus talking. Jesus says, of course everyone has a budget, right? Of course. This verse was obviously written before credit cards, although Jesus knew they were coming. I mean, some of you have no idea where your money goes, and it really doesn't matter because you can take one of your five or eight credit cards at the end of the month and just make everything work. Listen, you can make the budget in advance, but if you don't follow it, if you don't write it down, if you don't know where it goes, you don't have a budget. You have a spreadsheet. 
I'm good at spreadsheets. It's a little harder to make the budget and to stick to it. And then after a few months of not planning, not budgeting, not tracking, basically not stewarding your money, you're up to your eyeballs in debt. You have no margin. You have no financial health. And then you have an emergency. Now you have anxiety. Now you're losing sleep. Now you do feel like you're suffocating. Now you're taking pills for this. Now your kids are outgrowing their shoes and you're mad at them about this. And so it's like, those were supposed to last you for eight years, all right? And so, and, you, and then you're just mad that you can't go golfing or, or get your nails done or whatever it is. And you just, you have, you're constantly trying to catch up for an unplanned life. So we're offering something here. We've offered it for years, but I wanna highlight it this morning. We're offering Dave Ramsey's financial peace. God has used this man in mighty ways. He, ta- he can take those 2,350 verses and make them make sense and give you a plan. And can I tell you something for all the procrastinators out there who've listened to a little bit of Dave or known that we've offered this and you've changed the channel on the radio maybe after he comes up and you don't wanna hear another family scream because you can't scream yet, all of that kind of thing. Can I give you some good news? It's not 13 weeks anymore, it's nine. So you win, you just saved some hours, okay? Would you be willing to take 18 hours, 18 hours to get a handle on your money. Nine two-hour sessions to change your life. Not because it's a great money plan, but because it's God's plan. That's what they're teaching. It could not only change your life, but your kids and your grandkids, to be quite honest. I'm gonna tell you more about that at the end of the service. So give what God lays on your heart first. Make a plan for the rest that includes savings and follow it. 2,350 verses, it's just that simple. I wanna close this series with just a few thoughts. This is just some things that were on my heart. I, I shared some things with the creative arts team this last week. And I said, I, I'm concerned about what people might be hearing with this series, this series on margin. So we've talked about spiritual health. We've talked about the Spirit of God is like the air you breathe. He wants to support and weave through in every area of your life. We've talked about emotional health. We've talked about how God wants to meet you in your anxiety and your worry and your despair. Wherever it is, Jesus has walked that path. He wants to meet you there. We talked about your physical health, and then we offered you cupcakes. Um, it's the pastor's birthday. We didn't plan that well. They were small cupcakes. Um, and the varsity was here for starting point, just so you know. Um, <laughs> Not good planning on our part. Here's what concerns me. To be honest, I'm worried that if you're not listening intently, that if you're not reading God's word for yourself, that if you're new to this, if you're, if, even if you're a skeptic, maybe you haven't put your faith in Christ yet, I'm worried that you could be hearing. If I'm good with my time, if I don't have a nervous breakdown, um, if I try to get skinny and try to get rich, then I'm a disciple of Jesus. Nothing could be further from the truth. And now today you may be hearing the church is giving me challenges, all new stuff to do, and now I have to figure out how to give money. And maybe after being here the last four weeks, I hope this isn't true, but I know it's possible, maybe, then understand, maybe more than understanding margin, you feel more overwhelmed than ever. Listen, if you go with society's view of margin and just treat the margin as the leftover space, that's what you think it is, then chances are when it comes to margin, you don't have any, you're overwhelmed, 
and you think that everything that the church talks about from fellowship and small groups to giving is absolutely unachievable. There's a verse that expresses my concern I found this week. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul says, I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and the purity of devotion to Christ. There's a principle in Scripture. It's not a self-help principle. It's not a practical principle. It's not natural. It's supernatural. And it's simple. And it simplifies life. If you create the space for God first, He will fill it with Himself and inhabit every other area of your life. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added to you. Seek first, he said, and I'll order your life. I'll help things make more sense. He didn't promise you'd get rich. He didn't promise that everything would be easy like Sunday morning. He didn't promise any of that. He just said, seek me first. Give me a little elbow room even. And I'll help make things make sense. Oswald Chambers says, common sense is not faith. (laughs) And faith is not common sense. If you're here and you're serious about a relationship with God, about more than just dancing around on the edges, about more than just checking the box you went to church. If you're here and you want to get serious about this, then my true challenge for you today, my heart for you today, is that you will figure out by the Spirit of God helping you, you and your spouse together, you and your family together, you will figure out how to give God space in every area of your life. It's not a 90-day challenge. It's a lifelong challenge. And I can promise, because I've seen it up to this point in my life, that the challenges come, suffering comes, persecution comes, difficulties come. God has not promised to rescue me away from all those things. He's promised to walk with me through all those things. And I have found when I give him space, an abundant life that Jesus promised, and more adventure and more love and more fun than I could ever ask or imagine, I wouldn't go back for a minute. And I want to encourage all of you to walk with him however he encourages you to do it. Let him have his space. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? If you're here today, you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I challenge you right now, God sent his son Jesus to pay it all. Paid a debt that you could not pay. You were born with sin in your life. It was in your nature. It's not your fault. It's what the scripture teaches. All have sinned. 
and fallen short of the glory of God. If you have sinned even once, sin, the word sin means miss the mark. If you have missed the mark even once in your life, you need the blood of Jesus to have the salvation of God. So if you're here today and you've never put your faith and trust in him, you can pray right now in your own words, God, give my heart, my life to you right now. I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for me. I've heard it before. I don't really understand it all. I've heard, I've heard something of this before, but there's something right now drawing me to you. I can't put it into words. But I reach out to you with this prayer and I put my faith and trust in the one who died for me and who gave his life and who has risen today that I could have a new life. You pray anything like that today in your own words, you reaching out your heart to God's. Would you just let us know so we could help you get started right? Let us know. Come see one of our prayer team members after the service. They're here for everyone after every service. Or visit our help center today and let us give you something to help you get started. Whether it be emotional, financial, spiritual, or physical, would you ask God right now, God, what what do you want me to do? God, what's my next step? Let him have the space. God, your word says if we follow you, that people will then look to you. If we're generous, people will give thanksgiving to you. So God, let our hearts and our desires for following Jesus not be because we want glory or because we want stuff or because we want attention, but God, let it be because we want to put all of the attention on you Teach us how to do that wherever we live, work, and play. With everything that we've got, may you be preeminent because that's what you are. King of kings and Lord of lords, we love you. We worship you. Teach us more of your love as we go. In Jesus' name, amen.